for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Maybe like myself, you have wondered before, how did Jesus come to focus on the things that he was able to focus on? If you take into consideration what Jesus of Nazareth did in a a three-and-a-half-year public ministry, it was absolutely incredible. And a lot of times, whenever the disciples are getting carried away, whenever they are extremely emotional, whenever they're distracted in the exact same ways that we would be distracted very often, it's like Jesus always has this focus. And there's a lot of moments when he could obviously brag upon himself for all of the things that he's done. There are moments that he could be deeply discouraged, but through every single bit of that, we see this amazing focus that we rarely ever see. So there is an answer for this. How did he maintain this focus? The answer is wilderness. The amount of time, 40 days. The company that he had with him, light which was the father, and darkness, which was the devil. So for the next three weeks, we'll be in a series titled, It Is Written. And the title of this series actually comes from quotes that Jesus uses when in the wilderness, directly from the Torah. So we're going to discuss the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness that is recorded in great extent in Matthew and Luke and to a lesser extent in Mark. And I anticipate this time together uh, doing something, uh, but primarily, specifically showing a really close, intimate look at Jesus that maybe you've never seen before, or maybe you've never had before. And I say this because I believe wholeheartedly that we have created a Jesus. All right, and I'll take this a little bit further. I believe some churches have created a Jesus that is not the Jesus that is accurately or fully displayed in the Gospels, meaning that there are going to be components and aspects of this series over the next three weeks that could be a little bit unnerving for some people as we get into the depths of who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and some of these difficult temptations that he went through that we are fully expected to follow through as well. So there is a question that continues to cross my mind. And as I was putting this together, a question that continued uh, to cross my mind. What does it mean to see through the eyes of the one who has nothing? Keep in mind that this is a Jewish peasant in the first century with no home, And everything, the kingdom of God, and perfect unity with the Father, 
all at one time. How is it that we look through the lens and understand this one who had everything and nothing at the same time? I don't know that in our society today, unless you're forced to, or unless you fall into a tiny, tiny population of Jesus followers, that we ever see the kind of discipline that Jesus actually practiced in the wilderness. And I'm not even talking about realistically. I'm not telling you, all right, Justin, 40 days in the wilderness. You're not supposed to eat. Go right now. You're not supposed to be at Mapes. Go tomorrow. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about within our society today, the everyday discipline that is required of every follower of Jesus. And what I think is so scary about this is that we have a lot of pastors, we have a lot of church leaders, we have a lot of consultants, we have a lot of people that are supposed to be the experts in all these fields, and they have no idea what it looks like to practice this kind of discipline on a daily basis. And if they did know at one time, they've forgotten at this point of their life. So I want to set the stage for what's going on before we get into this passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today, but before we get into the passage, the significance of this event, the 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness when Jesus is fasting, is that it's right after the baptism of Jesus, all right, by his cousin John, and right before he begins a three and a half year public ministry that is going to radically transform his geographical region, and eventually the entire world. So Jesus, practicing obedience, is baptized. Jesus, after this event, is going to go into a a three-and-a-half-year public ministry, but knowing the significance of the work, knowing what has to be carried out, Jesus understands that there has to be a period of preparation, If I'm going to have the focus that I need to have, if I am going to be for this world what I am supposed to be, because keep in mind, we often have a very high Christology, and what that means is that we focus a lot on the fact that Jesus was, in fact, fully God, but we also, uh, we sometimes neglect a low Christology, which means that he was also fully human. So the distraction, the ability to recognize and notice other things, the temptation to possibly go off the path, hunger the same way that you and I would experience hunger, thirst in the same way that we would experience it. Jesus goes through all of these different kinds of things that we experience as humans as well. So what this does, considering what this event is nestled in between, it makes this 40-day period one of the most significant periods in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. So it deserves a closer look. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we are going to look at verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you want to follow on the screen, if you want to follow on your phone, you can do that as well. Okay, so Jesus has just been baptized. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's very important to understand that Jesus didn't simply walk into the wilderness, but Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. 
Meaning that there are a lot of times that we are led different places in our lives that seem really, really good for us. That new relationship, that new job, making more money, that special vacation, whatever it might look like, but we are often leading ourselves, meaning that we will always be in better shape, even if we're led into the wildernesses of our lives, if we are led by the Spirit. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. You think? You think he might have been a little bit hungry 40 days and 40 nights? I know we've got some saints here in this church, but I don't know anybody who's ever told me, let me tell you about my 40-day fast. The tempter, the devil, wastes no time and came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, keep in mind that this is before Jesus has made this proclamation, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, and this is where we get our first, it is written, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, keep in mind that the enemy knows the scripture as well, he will command his angels concerning you. And on, their hands they will bear, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. Here we go again. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. At this point, the devil has to feel uh, somewhat defeated because the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Now, the next subtitle in my Bible, and I don't know what it says in the one that you may have, if you have one in your hand, says, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. And right after this, not far after this, we have the most significant sermon of all time, the most important sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. So this means that Jesus has received his preparation. He has his focus for going out into the world and making a difference. So there are three temptations that we are going to look at over the next three weeks that we need to learn from because if we pay attention, we are going to recognize that these are the very things that are present in our lives as well. All right, so here is what Jesus is going through. The problem with appetite or appetites or what we could often refer to as hedonism or the issue with pleasure. Everybody likes pleasure. We have different kinds of pleasure that we actually like, but there are some of us, I, I will step out on a limb and say almost every person in here, and if you don't feel this way, I don't think we can be friends, but probably everybody in here likes chocolate. All right, we, we, we love different forms of pleasure. So hedonism, and then the second that we'll talk about next week is the problem with power, or what we could call egoism. All right, and then the third temptation is going to be the problem with possessions, and we could refer to this as materialism. 
All right, so I'm going to make this argument right here today. I believe that every sin struggle, because please don't miss this. This is a series about repentance. This is a series about you looking deep within at some of the things that you, you know are issues, but other things that you possibly consider to be very innocent in your life and would make the argument that this is not a problem at all. And you consider yourself to be a strong and committed follower of Jesus. I'm going to challenge you to look deeper into your soul and deeper into your life. And it's us as a church body to look deeper. Now, there are going to be others of you in here that are going to say, as you see this up on the screen, the problem with appetite, power, possessions. Well, thank goodness for the next three weeks, he's definitely not going to hit me because I don't struggle with any of those. I don't have an issue with power. You know, I'm, I'm a customer service representative at my job. I don't have an issue with possessions. I, I hardly have a, a penny to my name. I don't have a problem with appetites. I'm going to promise you right now that you are wrong. And I'm going to prove that over the next three weeks. And, and, and one or two of these, you may struggle with more than others. But I believe that if we take these three areas, and I do not think it's an accident that the tempter used these three areas, that if we take these three areas of sin, we can take every single issue that we struggle with as individuals or corporately as a church, and it will fall into one of these three categories. And some of these areas are going to overlap. All right, so this is what we're going to pay attention to. And again, today we want to talk about appetite. So we see in verse 3 and 4 this. The tempter came and said to him, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written from the Torah, this, the Torah being the first five books of the Old Testament, People won't live only by bread, but by every word that is spoken by God. So the Old Testament version, just to show you how well Jesus knows his Bible, all right, the Hebrew Bible, this is what it actually says in Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you manna that neither you, you nor your ancestors had ever experienced. So he could teach you that people, here it is, don't live on bread alone. He's referring to Israel in the wilderness. No, they live based on whatever the Lord says. So here's what is going on here. We are so consumed with our appetites in our lives that we are often missing God. Many of you are, are missing the greatest experiences that you could have, a calling that you could step into, a deeper walk and all the suffering and all the struggle and all the hard things that are definitely a part of this, you are missing this in your life because you are so consumed with appetites. So now you're asking the question that is so important. You're talking about appetites. What are these appetites that I could be struggling with? We have two kinds. We have what are called socially unacceptable appetites, and we have what are called socially acceptable appetites, meaning that there is one category that society is typically going to frown upon and another one that society is typically going to overlook. 
All right, so socially unacceptable appetites, drugs, alcohol, pornography, stealing, lying, promiscuous sex, unacceptable appetites. Some of you are thinking, thank God I do not have a problem with appetites. I'm okay. I'm in good shape. This message doesn't apply to me. Let's go ahead and get on my phone or just decide what I'm going to have for dinner after church. Right here are the ones that are socially acceptable. Food. I know I got some of you there. Recognition. Fame. Success. Control. Greed. Binge-watching on Netflix. Hours of video games. Hours of scrolling through social media. Okay, these are the things that we don't necessarily talk about as appetites that could distract us from God, but they are the exact same kinds of appetites nonetheless. So why did Jesus fast for 40 days and 40 nights? All right, I get, like, usually what I'll do is a dinner-to-dinner fast. All right, about a 24-hour fast, and I am starving the whole time. All right, why did Jesus fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Because he wanted to remove all distractions and further build his commitment and faith to the Father. He understood that all of these things that are coming my way, I'm getting a pat on the back in the future because I just did and performed this miracle. People are looking up to me. I am gravitating toward this particular area. People are saying all of these things. How is it through all of this stuff in a world today where everywhere that we look is good food? Everywhere that we look is temptation. Everywhere that we look is a screen that we can scroll through and watch. How in the world do we maintain any focus on the things of God? And the people that are in this room right now that I'm talking to that I love very much, many of which that would consider themselves committed Christians, their phone is in their hand 24 hours a day. Well, you're not awake 24 hours a day, but when you are awake, and for a lot of you, the, what's the first thing you do whenever you wake up? You've got that bright light right in your face, checking the news, checking social media. If you're me, checking to see if the Celtics won, whatever it might be, but you, you're, you, all the time, it's distraction, distraction, distraction. Experts are calling distraction the unfortunate norm in society today. And we're not changing the world because we don't understand what God's will is because we are such distracted people. Food is distracting. A desire to get home for that evening drink, it's distracting. Pornographic images, very distracting. A desire to relentlessly comp compete and get ahead of other people, a desire for your name to be known, distracting. You know, there are times after I have breakfast, I usually have breakfast at the house, and there are times in my work day when the only thing that I can think about, and I know I'm not alone with this, but when I'm on my way over to this church in the morning, the first thing that's crossing my mind, if I didn't bring my lunch, 
is, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. And I think about it rather obsessively, just to be completely honest with you. Sometimes when I eat, I don't feel fully full, meaning busting. I don't feel full, and I'm agitated. And then I eat more, and then I feel sick. I know I'm not alone. And then as I, amen. And then as I start to feel a little bit better, I'm thinking about the next meal. And I am completely distracted through the day about the work God wants to do in my life. Often when I'm waiting on my food, when I have a spare second. What do we do in this generation when we have a spare second because our attention span is so short and because our anxiety levels are so high? What do we do when we have a spare second? We grab that phone and we start looking at that phone. And if we recognize and realize that we don't have our phone, we lose it. We don't even know what to do because we actually have to be contemplative for a few minutes. We actually have to think. A friend of mine and a friend of Cody's, he was telling us recently that for people trying to get away from their phone, they've actually created this piece of plastic that's the size and weight of a phone that people literally just carry around to have the comfort I don't know if that's genius or sick. I, I can't figure it out, but it's something. Pretty creative. So, so, so think about this also. Though we claim belief in God and surrender to Jesus, that's what a lot of you say. That's what a lot of us say. It's what a lot of people in other churches say. Surrender to God, belief in Jesus. We're often under the ownership instead of our appetites. Think about it. Food stabilizes our mood. Recognition lifts our ego. More money brings us comfort. Sex guards us from loneliness. And our new pant size will inflate our self-image. In this state, we are not depending on God. Instead, we are depending on our idea of God. Very quiet in here. We're depending on something that we have created. While we maintain and somewhat balance appetites throughout the course of our daily life. The key to understanding pleasure psychologically is the release of dopamine in the brain. So that feeling that you get when you first fall in love or you have like a serious crush, caffeine, reward, sex, cupcakes, gambling, drugs, tobacco. It's the addiction to that shot to the brain that gives us that stability and gives us that comfort that in turn, though some feel completely innocent, distracts us and removes us from what God is actually doing. You see, Jesus fasted because he desperately needed to hear from the Father. Did you know that you depended on that focus? Your soul 
and the livelihood that you have today, the forgiveness of sins, the cross of Christ, all of the broken people that were healed, the disciples who accepted Christ and would spread the message of the church was because of clarity, focus, understanding mission, and removing all possible appetites for a 40-day period. Now, it's safe to say that after that, Jesus continues in this pattern to remove these appetites. Now, on the other hand, we desperately need a cup of coffee. We desperately need the next iPhone. We desperately need Instagram likes. We desperately need an escape from loneliness. We miss God because we lack desperation. And in return, we satisfy other appetites while receiving the generic, plastic, consumer-hungry version of God. This is a lot of fun. Would you guys agree? This is a lot of fun today. All right. Now, please understand something. I'm not saying that Facebook, coffee, cheeseburgers, those things aren't sinful on their own. All right? So I'm not telling you not to drink coffee. I'm not telling you not to have a cheeseburger. I'm not saying those kinds of things today. An appetite becomes sinful when you hurt without it or it replaces your appetite for God. Now, some of you, like myself, you can probably go on a check, start checking things off and think, man, I've not got like one serious appetite issue. My entire life is actually made up of one of these after another. Like it's caffeine all day, and then it's lunch. Maybe it's, it's several of these things that are combining. And this means that it is so hard to maintain any kind of focus. And those of you that have fasted before, those of you that have maybe fasted for a little while, one thing that you recognize and you notice, because it's one of the strongest spiritual disciplines that we could practice. This is what I do when I fast, all right? Especially when I'm at home. I constantly reach for something that I recognize that I can't have. It's just habit, all right? So I open up the refrigerator, I open up the pantry, and I'm like, oh, I'm fasting today. And immediately I'm like, God, get me through this. There's this recognition that comes about. There's this acknowledgement that has to be in our lives. You see, if we're going to understand what the future of this church has to be, we can't be distracted people. If we're distracted people, we're, we're pretty much almost every other church. And I don't care about church size. I don't care if contemporary or traditional or in a denomination or non-denominational, the churches that make an impact and the churches that change lives are focused, praying churches. Those are the churches that make a difference. So if we are constantly throughout the week, and if you're already thinking about what am I going to have for lunch today, we are very, very distracted people by our appetites. So also recognize that when consumed with our appetites, we are feeding into the tempter's plan. We don't even recognize that. But we are actually feeding into what the enemy desires for our lives. If the enemy can keep you in church 
but uninvolved, present, but socially isolated, and having an admiration for your idea of God, the tempter is winning the battle. And the truth is that we love our appetites so much because they keep us comfortable. They keep us entertained. They make life with all of the difficult things that we go through at least make a little bit of sense. Scott Jutani said this, and, and this is one of my favorite writers, and this is actually humorous but very, very true. He said, boredom is a prerequisite for the spiritual life. All right, boredom is a prerequisite for the spiritual life. So let me, let me explain what that means. If every single night, whenever you go home, you've, you've got the kids to bed, you've done everything you, you need to do, and you've got your big bowl of ice cream, and you've got your show on Netflix that you're really into right now, and you know you're going to get two or three episodes in uh, before you go to bed. If you wake up and the first thing that's on your mind is coffee before you ever think about praying and showing gratitude for what God has done in your life, if you step away from that and you step into the wilderness, at first, I would love to tell you that Jesus just splits the eastern skies, and all of a sudden you feel this euphoric pleasure that you've never felt before. But the truth is, there's a, a lot of silence. There's a lot of solitude. Dare I say that even sometimes it feels like you're wasting time. It's really, really hard to build into these disciplines. But as you go, and as you create these patterns, the will of God and the plan of God starts to unfold in your midst so that God is not simply a part of your life. God is your way of life. I'm not against ice cream. <laughs> I'm not against Netflix. Not against coffee. It's not about being against these things. It's about being for something that is greater and paying attention to how distracted of a people that we actually are. Everything worth having in a relationship, and you know this if you're married, everything worth having in a relationship requires you turning over pieces of yourself. Everything worth having in a relationship, any kind of relationship for that matter, but especially in marriage, and even more so in a relationship with God, requires you turning over pieces of yourself. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing in the wilderness. Jesus was being perfected. Jesus was becoming holier and holier and holier and holier. And Jesus needed to know the same thing as this Gethsemane moment when he cries, great drops of blood. He even asked, can, can this be removed from me? Can this cup be removed from me? Jesus is becoming, uh, Jesus is coming before the Father just a few years before this. Abba, what am I supposed to do? What is this supposed to look like? How do I completely dismantle my ego when I'm going to be the center of tension? And this is what next week is about power. How do I do this? And he finds himself alone 
with God. A few questions to consider. This is what I want you to think about, okay? And you may not be able to write all these down because they're not up here, but I just want you to think about this. Because some of you are already thinking some things. What are, what are the appetites that bring you comfort? And what would God say about these appetites? What are the appetites that bring you comfort? And what would God say about these appetites? And the reason that I'm saying you may not even need to write this question down is because it should, be, it should have been in it right here in like the first 15 minutes of this message. Maybe sooner. All right? I want to challenge you, if you have a pen and a piece of paper, maybe to write those down. Uh, the second part of this first question, <clears throat> excuse me, what are the appetites that bring you comfort, and what does God have to say about these appetites? And the second part of this question is, do you feel conviction? Do you feel something moving within you to change or to modify some of these things? Number two, when was the last time in your life that you fasted or sacrificed, because this is another form of fasting, caffeine, social media, or spending in order to really get away from God so that you could hear from God? When was the last time that happened? As some of you say, oh my goodness, five years or more. As others of you say, never. Been a Christian for 12 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for, for nine or 10 months and never. Number three, if you are honest, could you admit that these appetites bring so much comfort that getting alone with God seems unattractive? Wow. Are any of you willing to admit that these appetites bring so much comfort that getting alone with God seems unattractive. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew. This is beyond the time in the wilderness. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And you know what he's doing? He's maintaining that focus. He's keeping that focus. He's, he's seeing the crowds. He's hearing his name over and over and over. And while the immature disciples are celebrating, Jesus is saying, I have to withdraw. I have to step away. I have to maintain focus because there is a mission. And I must carry it out. Father, what do I do? How do I manage this? There is a relationship between loneliness and wilderness. It comes from the Greek word eremos. It means solidarity, desolate, uninhabited, deprived of the protection from others. And our Savior knows what this wilderness looks like. Jesus used the wilderness to get alone with the Father and we often fear the wilderness, if we're to be completely honest. This is the last question that I'm going to ask you. Can you really know God or claim that you are following Jesus 
if you are habitually led by other appetites. Not asking you if you prayed a prayer many years ago in, in First Methodist Church or if you made this commitment in First Baptist Church whenever you were seven or eight years old. I'm asking something much deeper about the spiritual nature of who you are. So here is your challenge today. All right? This is really important. Number one, identify your appetites. Identify your appetites. If you need to write down, I have got a prescription drug problem that nobody knows about. My wife doesn't know about my pornography issue. Every single time, if I looked at my screen time right now, it would probably say that I was on my phone eight and a half hours a day. Matt, the things that you mentioned with food, I can relate to. My doctor has even told me that there are things that I need to do. And I failed to change. I am an alcoholic. But I managed to hide it from everyone because I'm a productive worker. I'm a functioning alcoholic. But no one else in this church knows. Identify your appetites. Write them down if you have a pen. If you don't, I'll encourage you to use your phone. Put them in the notes. Make sure that you have them down. Number two, when you leave here today, not necessarily right after church, but through the week, pray about these appetites. Bring them forward to God. And then the last thing that I'm going to ask you to do is going to be the hardest. Discuss them with someone else. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be your spouse. It doesn't have to be your significant other. It doesn't have to be your parent. But find someone else. As far as I'm concerned, this covers every single person in here. Discuss it with someone else. Because what you're doing, whenever you do that, you're not necessarily repenting yet, but you are confessing and you are making it public. Because I believe that whenever we do that, and whenever it's named, we are closer to confrontation. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I'll, I'll tell you what I anticipate today and what, and what I pray for today is freedom. I anticipate and I pray for freedom for one to five individuals that are in this room right now. Because some of you are going to write these things down. You're going to think about them. It's going to bother you a little bit. But then you're going to be done. But I believe that one to five of you in here are going to be game changers. And you're going to take this thing and you're going to go to rehab. Or you're going to take this issue, you're going to talk to your spouse about it, and you're going to say, hold me accountable. 
Are you going to make the decision in the evening with, with how you spend your time? That you're going to spend it differently. I believe that with all my heart. There is nothing more lifting than the cleansing power of repentance. What is God revealing right now? Father, we come to you today uh, lifting up our sin as, as sinful people. Father, acknowledging and admitting that there is not one person in here that's, that's worse off than anyone else. We all struggle from the same common curse. But Father, our heart's desire is to grow deeper and closer to you. Father, I pray for deep conviction among your people so that we can grow closer and closer to you and maintain that full focus that we see in your son. In Jesus' name, amen.